0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Stay Focused tonight. I am really excited you've joined me. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I am the director of Appalachian Prayer Center Ministries, and I'm your host this evening. Now, tonight, we're going to jump into a topic, uh, the topic of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Now, right up front, I'm just going to uh, set it up by saying, I know that this isn't a phrase that's used that often in church circles. I will have to say in the last few years, it's getting a little more traction, uh, but I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a disciple and, uh, what, you know, what is meant by that. First of all, when we, when we think of disciples, we usually think about, you know, the, the 12 guys that followed Jesus. But when you read the Gospels, um, there was actually more than 12 guys who followed Jesus. There was a, a large group of, of um, at times, 72 people who traveled with Jesus Uh, These were men, these were women. You can read in the book of Luke and it tells you just about all the various different people that uh, followed Jesus was with him. And another time he said he called his disciples to him and then from there he appointed 12 apostles. Now those 12 first apostles are usually what we think of when we think of, of disciples. Nevertheless, Jesus had a wide variety of disciples. I want to talk to you about what that meant then and what that means now. And there's a lot that we can learn from that. Usually when we think of uh, being saved, being born again, uh, a church, we don't think about discipleship. But Jesus actually, before he left, he called his, his first disciples to him. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, All authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of me. And baptizing in in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you uh, to the end of the world. But notice that. We make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey what Jesus commanded. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about the message of the gospel. What is the gospel we preach? And I ended that with talking about the decision that we must make and that decision is not just a, a decision about our afterlife. Uh, you know, I don't want to go to hell. I'm sorry for my sins. Can I go to heaven? It entails a lot more than that. It entails an actual turning from our way. The word repent means to turn. They said, what must we do to be saved? They said, repent and be baptized. Turn from your ways, be baptized, which is actually identifying yourself as, as a follower of Jesus. You're baptized. And then, as we learn in Matthew 20, 18 through 20, if, you're, if we're a baptized follower of Jesus, we're a baptized disciple, then we begin learning what Jesus commanded us. So see, that decision involves, again, a turning from your way. Remember how we've learned that uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own own way. God has laid in him the iniquity of us all. But, but uh, when Jesus is our Lord, we confess Jesus as Lord, we actually turn from our way back to His way. Does this make sense? That's actually what it means to be, a, be to be a Christian. So I talked a lot in this last uh, um, episode that Jesus actually Himself said that He came to call sinners to to turn. Uh, Luke 5:32. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. So Jesus came to Call us from our way to repentance. That word repent again, that's going to say, means to turn. Uh, the apostles taught that uh, repentance and surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus was the way of salvation. I want to read something here uh, Acts 2 36 38. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So, Jesus said, God has made Jesus. I mean, yeah, Peter said, God has made Jesus Lord. And the people said, Well, what must we do? And Peter said, Repent, turn from your ways, and surrender to his Lordship. Remember, if he's Lord, you do what he says. That's, I went through a lot of verses on that, and we'll go through some more today. Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Notice that Apostle Peter preached that Jesus was Lord and Messiah, that in order to be saved, he preached that people must repent, turn from their way, turn from their corrupt culture, and turn to Jesus' way. In other words, they were to, to turn from sin and give control of their life to Jesus. So they were to turn from their way and learn to obey Jesus. what Jesus taught. Now, Apostle Paul reiterated this in Romans 10 and 9 and said, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we learned, so I'm talking today, what does it mean to be a disciple? In order to know what it means to be a disciple, even what it means to be a Christian, I'll get to that in a minute, that it means more than just saying the words. Confessing that Jesus is Lord means more than just saying the words. We have to actually believe in our heart. And remember, your heart is the center of your will, your desire, your emotions. So you're giving up control of your life to Jesus. I feel like that, sometimes when I talk about this, I feel like it most falls on deaf ears because we've been conditioned to say, uh, many, many of us, rather, have been conditioned to say, to be saved, you just believe some things, tell God you're sorry, ask Jesus to forgive you, and you can go to heaven when you die, but... What Jesus and the apostles taught was something more than that. You must actually turn from your way, surrender to Jesus' lordship, and then you're saved. And his spirit enters into you, gives you a new heart, and uh, then you're born again. You're spiritually reborn, but then the Holy Spirit actually lives in you and teaches you how to, to, to follow God's decrees as, as, as told uh, by the apostle, uh, excuse me, the prophet Ezekiel. But see, in order for this to happen, you must confess that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus himself said to people, why why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? So if he's Lord, you obey him. And another time, Jesus said, "Um, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. I said, I never knew you. They're calling him Lord. But he said, but only those who do the will of the Father. Well, Does that mean doing the will of the Father gets you saved? No, but it does mean that if you are saved, you'll do the will of the Father. See, confessing Jesus as Lord is just more than words you say. Your life actually has to turn, and he actually has to be your Lord. Um, So what I'm saying is, is when you're born again, it results in a changed life. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that you can know the condition of a person's heart by their actions. Now, is it possible to do some right things and not be saved? Sure. But if you are saved, you are going to do right things. Because Jesus said that, that we can, You again, you can know the condition of someone's heart by their actions. That's heavy stuff. So there is evidence. There's evidence that Christ is in you. A previous episode, i talked to some about that. What are some of the evidence of Christ in you that you're born again? Or just like a baby, you're hungry for God's word. You're hungry to be fed. You you need a family. You desire the fellowship of the family of God. You desire the Spirit of God. You desire to be have, be intimate with the Father. You um, you desire to tell others of God. You you start aligning your life around the purposes of God. Uh, you begin to hate the sin in your life. Not so much just hate sinners around you, but you begin to as you fall if you uh, after you're saved if you sin. Uh, God will correct you, but then you also begin to, to hate that sin, you, and you begin to desire uh, a freedom from that sin. All of these are evidences that Christ is truly alive in you. Now, Jesus said that many will call him Lord, but those that are his will do the will of the Father. A lot of people say, well, Jay, your, your works don't save you. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, our works do not save us. But Ephesians 2 and 10, the very next sentence says, but you were saved. You were created. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So even before he saved you, God prepared you to do good works. He prepared his good works for you. So while they don't save you, they are an evidence of being saved. Now, that, that's not, not a popular teaching, but it's straight right there in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Now, so, so I just said, that uh, Jesus said that, uh, that only those who do the will of the Father are his. Only those who do the will of the Father are in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just saying he's Lord. You actually have to actually listen to him. So how do we know the will of the Father? Well, uh, John twelve forty nine, Jesus said, "I did not speak of my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken." John six sixty three, Jesus said, "The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life." So, how do you know the will of the Father? By listening to Jesus. Remember that the Father, the Father only spoke two times in the New Testament. The first was to say, "This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased." That's when he was being baptized, and the second was on a Mount of Transfiguration where the Father said, this is my Son, listen to Him. So, how do we know the will of the Father? We know the will of the Father by listening to the Son, listening to Jesus. God spoke through Jesus. I can give you more verses, Hebrews 1, 1 through, through 2, um, where it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So the will of God is evidenced through and known through the life and teachings of Jesus. So what does it mean? What does it mean when we say Jesus is Lord? It admits, it means that you admit that you're wrong. But you also admit that he's right. So you decide. Here's here's what I'm going to say. To be a a disciple of Jesus, to be saved, okay, first of all, and to say to be saved, to confess Jesus as Lord and be saved, you are deciding in advance that Jesus is right. Right about what? Everything. And if your opinion conflicts with Jesus' opinion, if he's your Lord, then you do what he says. But if you are still your Lord, then you do what you want. You see the difference? There's the difference between saying he's Lord and him actually being your Lord. So if he's actually your Lord, when you don't want to obey, you obey, <laughs> right? When you stumble and fall, you get up and you get back on the right path following Jesus. Remember, all we like sheep have gone astray to our own ways. But now, Peter taught us, but now we follow the chief shepherd. I want to say that the life of a Christian is a life of relearning and change. Uh, Matthew 10, 39, he says, uh, Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So the life of a disciple is one of relearning and change. I, I think that's why Jesus said we must become like little children. We actually, we actually turn from our way and we relearn everything with Jesus in charge. Does that make sense? So we relearn everything with Jesus in charge. Um, The the Bible tells us that the reason that God saved us was to conform us into Jesus' image. So when we say Jesus is Lord, then we enter into this life of relearning what Jesus wants and desires from us. I want you to think about it like this. Um, So here's what I want to say. A Christian, a Christian is, is one who recognizes and believes Jesus is God in the flesh, sent to save humanity. Two, the Christian turns from their way and surrenders to Jesus' lordship or surrenders to Jesus' way. And then three, The Christian lives their life learning and doing what Jesus commands. Remember Matthew 28, 18-20, make the disciples and teach them to obey everything I command. Now, I think this is easier to understand if we would understand um, the biblical concept of discipleship. Now, let, let me talk just a little bit more about that. So let me ask you a question first. What seems to be like heavier, more serious? to say that you're a Christian, or to say that you're a disciple of Jesus. Now, most people that I know would say that saying I'm a disciple of Jesus seems to carry like a heavier weight to it. But actually, that's not true. The word disciple comes from the word, um, um, the Greek word, which means to, to learn. And so it's a most it's it's best understood as like an apprenticeship and I want to give you some examples of that in a minute. So you're learning. So a disciple of Jesus is one who is learning to be like Jesus. The word Christian means literally to be like Jesus. Christ in that that um, suffix ian means adhering to to to, to be like So the word Christian actually means you're like Christ. So people can call you, you know, like I'm a West Virginian. I'm from and of West Virginia. I adhere to West Virginia, right? So uh, the word Christian, okay, means I am of Christ. I am from Christ. I am like Christ. So the word disciple means I'm learning. The word Christian means I am. Funny thing is in scripture that, People, um, the the the, uh, the the first disciples actually called themselves, and they were called followers of the way. You see that in the Book of Acts. They were called followers of the way. Why were they called followers of the way? Because they followed the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. It was for them. It wasn't just a belief about the afterlife. Which, I, I believe in the afterlife. Don't get me wrong. But it was a way of living in the here and now. So they, they were called followers of the way. They called themselves disciples, uh, 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 students, apprentices of Jesus. But then other people began to call them Christian because they said, oh, these people are like Jesus. So honestly, I identify myself as a follower, and hopefully you can identify me as a Christian. I identify myself as someone who's learning and training and an apprentice of Jesus and his ways, and hopefully the world who sees me, if they know about Jesus. Now, there's a lot of opinions about Jesus. For instance, one opinion says, if you ever tell someone that they're doing something wrong, you're not being like Jesus. Well, Jesus told people they were doing things wrong all the time. But he didn't do it in a condemning way, he did it in a helpful way. He said, You know, I don't condemn you, but go stop sinning. You know, Jesus himself said that we can know the condition of a person's heart through their actions. He said, Don't judge. And, and so and then he went on to, to to explain that there in Matthew 7, and where he said, Don't go around acting like you're better than everyone else and that. You have this big old sin in your life, but you ignore it. But you want to pick out the little sin in other people's lives? No, don't do that. But Jesus never said that you wasn't allowed to tell someone they did something wrong, or that you always had to accept people at face value, regardless of what their life said. He taught the exact opposite. If you read the rest of Matthew seven, but we just want to pull two words out of all of Jesus's thousands of teachings. And just assume we know everything there is about Jesus. So when people, though, actually know about Jesus and then they look at you, they're like, "Wow, well, that person is a Christian. They're, they're like Jesus. Um, so, a- again, the word disciple is more of an apprentice. And while the word word Christian would be someone that people recognize that about you and are like, yeah, they're, they're like Jesus. And so that means you're living like Jesus. You have the attitude of Jesus. You have the power of Jesus. You're pointing people to the Father like Jesus. I would even go on to say that you would, you would have the power of Jesus. Uh, uh, you begin having the power of Jesus over sin. That that you treat people different. Uh, okay, you're, you're 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 not a condemning person. Uh, you even treat your enemies different. You treat you treat your everything about your life is different, and people start recognizing this, and then people can start saying and identifying you. You are a Christian. I heard it one, said one time, if you are on trial for being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? Could people actually point out ways that you are like Jesus and say, yeah, that person's a Christian? So uh, I, th- I think it's easier uh, in the final minutes of, of, of today, I want to talk to us a little bit about how the the first disciples understood discipleship. Uh, there's some wonderful teaching by Ray Vanderlaan on the the, the the way of Jesus and the way of the early disciples, I and mean, that's some good stuff you get into. Uh, a lot of what I'm going to talk to you is influenced by that. Uh, even Francis Chan and a few other people can, uh, have influenced my thoughts on discipleship as understood by the culture of Jesus' time. Okay, so to understand a discipleship, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he he might have um, the the uh, the people who heard him there first might have had a little different opinion about what that was than we do today. See, in the Jewish culture, uh, the Jewish culture of education had roughly three levels, and and you're going to find you know some things. Uh, so like all the exact ages and every exact detail might not be uh, perfect, but in general. Around the time of Jesus, there's three levels of, of education in the Jewish culture. And this is important. You say, what does this have to do with me going to heaven, Jay? This is important because Jesus said that we must learn to be his, we must become his disciple and learn to obey him. And here's why. So the, the little Jewish kids, uh, roughly around the age of five, they would enter into the first level of learning. And they would go to their local synagogue and a rabbi would teach them. And, and a rabbi was kind of like uh, what we would think of, of as, as a pastor, uh, you know, a Bible teacher. But here's a teacher of the, of the Torah, um, of, of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And, and specifically, these little children would learn the Torah, which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the law, we call it the law of Moses or the Torah, these little children would learn, you know, reading and how to read and math and, and things like that, but they would also learn the, the Torah. I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you a, just a little piece of this. When you look at uh, my, my Bible, okay, my camera's a little weird. Here we go. And Okay, these first five books of the Bible, these are the parts, these are the books of the Bible, okay, if you've ever tried to say, I want to read all the way through the Bible, okay, you read through Genesis. There's lots of stories. You read a little bit in Exodus, some stories, and then, man, you just get into all these commands and laws. And then, then in Numbers is all the genealogy. Then, then all these wild laws in Leviticus, and and then Deuteronomy is just like a summary of a bunch of it. And then that's where people just usually just stop reading. Like adults, educated adults, would, would get into the first five books and often just just stop reading, and they say, oh, I'm going to go here in the New Testament. Okay, that's 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 hard. These little children will be taught to memorize these first five books. It was the law. And the, and, and the rabbis would teach them, God loves us so much that he taught us how to live. And I'm going to say there's so much of the law, and, and this isn't a lesson on all the Jewish law, but I, I've got to point out a few things here. Uh, that the law is all, it was not just about the ceremonies of of, um, of the temple. And we know that Jesus fulfilled um, you, you know, the sacrifice, Jesus became our Passover lamb. But a lot of people just think, you know, the, the, the law was just, is now just useless. But there's actually a lot of useful things in the law. You know, the, the law taught these people thousands of years ago, thousands of years before medicine and science caught up, for instance, that there was a command to carry a shovel, a small shovel with you, a little, little hand shovel, and bury your waste like when you'd use the bathroom to bury that. Now understand, this is in thousands of years ago before people understood germs and disease and sanitation and all of that. There's hand-washing rituals for sacrifice. There's all sorts of cleanliness, how to handle even mold and how to handle all sorts of things that this kind of barbaric society of three to 4,000 years ago at, at least didn't quite understand, but it was all there in the law. So these children were taught the law, and they were taught. And the, and the rabbis, uh, I've, I've been told that the rabbis would actually take uh, like their slate or whatever and cover it in honey, and and, and which was like the, the sweet of the days of the the the, the, uh, the dessert or the uh, um, the you know the sweets. Of the, you know what I'm saying? So they they would put some honey on. The uh, the slate, and they would have them, you know, lick the slate, and they and they would say, uh, I know some of you all just like, like the sanitation now it's just like ah, you know. But anyway, they would say, God's word is sweet to us, and there's verses about how His word is sweet like honey, and so they were taught a reverence, and they were taught these first five books of the Bible. They would learn to memorize it because it was how they lived their life. It was their, it was the the criminal code, it was the civil code, it was everything about their their life. Um roughly around the age of, of uh, you know 10 or 12 or something like that some of the students would go on and learn um, the rest of the Jewish scriptures now here's what I'm talking about when I say the rest of the Jewish scriptures that's Genesis all the way through Malachi and so they would become students of this that, that's a lot of scripture. And um, something interesting is, is then in that Jewish education, this really doesn't have anything to do with discipleship in our day. I I, I just find it really interesting, though, uh, to learn how that they learned during this time. So that you are actually taught the Jewish kind of art of questions and answers. So you learn to answer questions with questions. And it would teach deeper levels of reasoning. So I'm just giving an example. So we would teach people like you know, you know students. We would teach you know what um, what is two plus two, and we all said four, okay. But then the the little Jewish students would learn how to answer that question with a question. So you say what is two plus two? They would say what is sixteen divided by four? So well, the answer is four, okay? Two plus two is four, 16 divided by four is four, so you get how that goes. So you would learn, and, and, and you notice with, with Jesus, uh, when Jesus was 12, he was in the temple. His parents lost him, he was in the temples, and they were amazed at his questions and answers. Like, they were amazed by that. This is k- kind of this Jewish form of learning. Later on, Jesus would actually, if you look at a lot of Jesus' interactions, when they'd ask him questions, he would just answer with questions. Uh, often Jesus would start quoting something and then he would stop and then they'd like want to kill him or something. And you're like, oh, why did he Because where they were great students of the scriptures, Jesus would start and then they would finish it out in their minds and they'd be like, what did he just say to us? Okay, so Jesus was really good at, at this stuff. So you have that second level of, of education, where they would learn the rest of Scripture. But then I want to go quickly to the third, and this is what it really, checking my time here, and this is what it really um, applies to us in in context of discipleship. Now, the best of the best students at this point uh, would want to become a rabbi themselves. One of the most esteemed positions in the Jewish culture was to become a rabbi, a teacher of Scripture. It's a very honorable profession. It's something you would want your kids to grow up to be. Um, it was respected. It was honored. It's what most children would want to grow up and become a rabbi. And so the best of the best, what they would do is they would find a rabbi that they would want to to be like, and they would go audition. And where literally, they would... Um, uh, be be grilled in this this art of question and answer. they'd be grilled in their knowledge of all of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures. and then I get this, if a rabbi thought that the that the student had what it took to become like him, he would say, "Leave your family and come and follow me. But then if he thought that the student did not want it to have what it takes to become like him he would say, go learn your father's trade. Now, a couple big points here. When Jesus, which I called him, teacher, rabbi, Jesus was like one of these teaching, traveling rabbis. Well, he was one of these teaching, traveling rabbis, except he was a lot more than that. Notice when Jesus began picking his disciples, what were many of them doing? Well, they were fishing with their father. They were learning their father's trade. So what does that tell us about them? Well, it tells us, amongst other things, that maybe they didn't have what it took. They did not make the cut. They were not the cream of the crop from the world's perspective. What that means is there's hope for me, is what I'm saying. And notice that Jesus said, see, most rabbis would would have their students audition, but Jesus went and picked his and Jesus, and and what's, I think it's one thing what he meant when he said, um, "You have not chosen me; I have chosen you. I picked you. I selected you." And you know what? Jesus is still choosing disciples. Now, often when we think of the word disciple, we just think student, but but actually, the disciple, the word disciple means a lot more. See, a student learns what their teacher knows. If you, didn't, if you don't get anything else I'm saying tonight, get this. A student learns what their teacher knows. A disciple becomes who their rabbi is. A disciple becomes like their rabbi. As a matter of fact, it was said that the disciples would follow them. So the, these rabbis then would have a group of disciples, a group of, of, of apprentices who were becoming like them. And they would follow them, and they would learn from them, and they would, you know, and they would they would serve the rabbi. And then and 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 the, the tradition says that you would want to follow your rabbi so close that you would be covered from the dust of his sandals. Think about that. That you're that close to your rabbi that the dust from his sandals would, would fall on you. And so, and and the tradition would teach us that these these students, these disciples, would would eat like their rabbi, would eat what he ate. They would rest when he rested. They would wake up when he woke up. They traveled when he traveled. Uh, There's something even to suggest that they would even try to align, uh, like they'd go to the restroom when he went to the restroom. Like they literally wanted to become like their rabbi. So this is what these first people had in mind when they heard Jesus say, now go make disciples of me. They're like, Oh, we have to become like Jesus, and then we teach other people to become like Jesus. So Paul would say, follow me even as I follow Christ. Maybe even more accurately translated to say, learn to follow Christ the same way that I follow Christ. The way we are learning, or taking his yoke. The, a rabbi's teaching would often be called his yoke. We take his teaching upon us. We take his yoke upon us where we learn to become just like Jesus. Remember, that's why God saved you was to conform you into the image of his son. So now all of a sudden, as I wrap up, I'm, I'm, I'm making this point that being a disciple is learning to be like Jesus. Being a Christian is where others recognize that you're like Jesus. So being saved isn't just about me going to heaven. But it's learning to live even as Jesus lived on earth, because that's what he called me to do. Gonna wrap up again by looking at Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Now go make disciples of me. In other words, go make people who live just like I lived, who who do what I did. And and let me pause here and just say, and that's what Jesus said in and the works that I did you will do. And greater works. Why? Because the disciples were becoming like him. And then we go make new disciples and we baptize them. That means they identify with Jesus. They're laying down their old life. They're being raised in a new life with Jesus as Lord. And then we teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And this, my friends, is what it means to be saved and to grow in Christ. Now, this process of becoming like Jesus is referred to in a lot of ways. It's spiritual growth, holiness, maturity, spiritual maturity, sanctification, but it's a process of leaving your old way of life, turning to Jesus, and then becoming like Jesus. And this is the will of the Father for you. I hope today has created a hunger in you. I want to help you stay focused on what's important in life. Being a disciple of the world is not what's important. Even being a disciple of your church's um, um, uh, teachings is not as important as being a disciple of Jesus' teaching. Now, if your church's teachings line up with Jesus, by all means. But, but what I'm talking about is learning to live even as Jesus did. Notice this, this passage written by the apostles, by Apostle John, that we will learn to live even as Jesus lived. I pray you grow in the faith. Stay focused on on your rabbi Jesus and know that God is creating you, recreating you, conforming you into Jesus' image. If this teaching was helpful, please share it with someone. Go back and listen again. I I gave you a lot of things today, as I often do, because I want to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus. You be blessed.